No, I have no doubt we're going to succeed at creating human-level artificial intelligence and beyond that. And uh, I really hope that it's a beneficial development for humanity. It can give us amazing, amazing capabilities. We can have longer lives, much more wealth. Uh, automation of labor is definitely something most people would enjoy. Uh, but uh, at the same time, it's not done right if people are not careful and not concerned about safety and security, it can lead to existential crisis, uh, loss of billions of lives, and uh, tremendous suffering. Professor Roman Yampolsky, an expert in artificial intelligence, predicts that, in fact, once we pass the point of singularity, artificial intelligence will become its own inorganic species. You can see it as a separate species. Absolutely, it's definitely not directly compatible with humanity, but uh, a lot of people predicted that evolution will go to the next level where it's no longer done with uh, random mutation and selection, but uh, actually intelligent design of engineers and scientists will guide the process. Stay tuned for more on artificial intelligence and its impact on our daily lives. Hello, and welcome to Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we have been interviewing politicians activists, advocates, and others since 2016 with the intention of ennobling public service, creating a platform for positive civil discourse, and facilitating dialogue with difference. This show is the antidote for those who are tired of hearing about what's going wrong with the world. We showcase people just like you who are working to leave the world better than they found it. And that's good news. And now a word from former President John F. Kennedy with his views on public service. Ask not... What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I'll remind you that this show is made possible by viewers like you. If you appreciate what we're doing here at Public Interest Podcast and enjoy this episode, please contribute $1 at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. We're here today with Dr. Roman Yampolsky, a distinguished teaching professor at the University of Louisville the founding director of the Cybersecurity Laboratory and the author of seven books, most recently, Artificial Intelligence, Safety, and Security. Roman, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for inviting me. Sure. So the first question I'd like to pose to you is, what are you currently doing, or what have you ever done to advance the public interest, and why? Well, I think my research is of great public interest. I'm trying to figure out how to control intelligent machines, and can humanity stay on top of it. So uh, I can't think of anything more impactful on society and economy and future of jobs and military and every other aspect of our culture and economy. Uh, I guess that's uh, that's what I do. So I guess I'd like to start off the interview by asking you just to define some basic terms. Um, you wrote a book on artificial intelligence. So what is artificial intelligence? Well, it's our best attempt to automate human labor, both physical and cognitive, uh, teach machines how to do most jobs, take over unpleasant jobs, help us uh, with interesting jobs like doing science, basically automation of uh, thinking process. Thinking. Okay. And so um, you uh, – and so obviously this has some – and its origin starts with, uh, with Alan Turing. In the 20th century, or, or, or is, that, is that basically the origins of artificial intelligence? Well, it's 
it depends on how you look at it. Some people talk about philosophy and mathematics and psychology as origins of AI, but uh, you can certainly say that Alan Turing is one of the founding fathers. He came up with ways to uh, measure success. He came up with a lot of computational tools which we use. So depends on how how far back you want to go. So uh, would you, is it fair to say that artificial intelligence is a study of machines that are designed to eventually think for themselves? Are there any machines that can think for themselves? And if not, do you perceive a time when there may be uh, machines in the future that would think for themselves? So it's a study of uh, trying to understand how intelligence works in general in humans and in non-human animals and in machines in theory and trying to emulate capabilities of humans. We're not necessarily trying to exactly reproduce what people can. We're quite happy to do much better, but uh, it's one of the examples we can work with and try to reproduce those capabilities. Mm-hmm. Why don't we um, delve right into your first book, I mean, sorry, your latest book, Artificial Intelligence, Safety and Security. Um, you're the founding director of the Cybersecurity Laboratory. Uh, many listeners uh, would see in the news that uh, there's instances of uh, accusations of the Russian government hacking uh, American uh, democracy, that Chinese companies have attacked um, American businesses. Of course, uh, their American uh, military has attacked um, Iranian uh, nuclear facilities. It seems as though cybersecurity uh, is increasingly of relevance to every American, uh, to governments and corporations. Could you tell us about the role of artificial intelligence in uh, cybersecurity and where we are today, what is the state of safety and security uh, in the world of artificial intelligence? All right, so AI is a dual-use technology. You can use it both to defend cyber infrastructure, detect hackers, uh, prevent uh, leakage of data, but also to attack systems, to automate the practice of social engineering, fighting uh, different exploits, depending on who's using it, uh, it, it could be a tool for good or bad. And more and more we see this competition between different AI developers, kind of AI arms race for dominance in terms of who has better cyber weapons, better tools. And we'll see it much more, of course, in the future with weaponization of AI, with military uh, trying to automate uh, how we fight wars, uh, so actual physical soldiers, not just software. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a gun, right? So it could be used for good or for bad. It could help feed a family or it could commit acts of violence. It's, uh, there's an arms race. And uh, how is the United States doing in this arms race? Or is it not nation-state actors that primarily are acting? Well, one main difference between a gun and AI, at least the future AI I'm trying to research, is that uh, a gun is just a tool. It doesn't do anything. You have to find an agent who will use it, whereas uh, AI is an independent agent that can make its own decisions, and that makes it uh, somewhat more dangerous in many ways. It's unpredictable. We don't fully understand how it might work. So in that regard, it's uh, a lot more complex than just plain cybersecurity. It's a field we call AI safety, and it has additional complications from kind of insider threat of AI itself. Uh, So far, U.S. is doing pretty well. We are the leader in AI, but uh, China is catching up. And at some point, it may not be the case that we are up front uh, in terms of uh, cutting-edge technology. 
Uh-huh. And it sounds like uh, you've written it previously uh, about how when artificial intelligence and or versus the Internet was originally built, security wasn't one of the primary considerations uh, of the original developers. It wasn't built into the foundations, and that presents problems for us. Would you care to elaborate? All right. So usually because of how market forces operate, we don't spend too much time on safety and security of our products. We just want to be first to the market, make a capable product as soon as possible, minimum viable product. And it works well short-term when you're trying to make profit, but long-term it creates significant consequences. Uh, Internet is a great example. We build this uh, network, but it has no security built in from the ground up. So that's costing us billions now. We're kind of repeating the same mistakes with other industries, Internet 2.0, self-driving cars. It is my hope that we're not going to repeat it with intelligent systems. The consequences would be even worse. So who needs to learn these lessons? Is it the CEO of Google and, or is it the United States Congress? And what sort of lessons do they need to take away from the Internet not having had security built in from the ground up? What, what needs to happen moving forward? All of those factors. So it's both politicians, uh, corporations, uh, AI engineers, researchers, product uh, developers, pretty much everyone will be impacted by this, and it's important to understand how it's a dual-use technology and what consequences there are to releasing unsafe product, uh, financial consequences, but also beyond just money, consequences of impact on society and uh, ethics and morals of uh, what happens to those uh, tools and people who are impacted by them. So I really don't see anyone who should be oblivious to, to this information. Now, uh, increasingly we find that there are uh, attempts by foreign actors to infiltrate American utility companies, um, uh, local corporations, their credit cards, and personal medical information that's been stolen. What are the threats facing uh, Americans today uh, by a lack of digital security, and to what extent is AI going to change that scenario? Right. So anything available on the Internet somewhere in digital form is not secure. At some point, it will be hacked either through finding a mistake in the code or through social engineering, getting someone to reveal passwords. Uh, it's pretty much a guarantee. So if you don't want certain type of information about you stolen, then don't, don't make it available on the Internet. Don't make it available in a digital form. Uh, AI so far is not the main tool used uh, for such attacks, but it's gaining ground pretty quickly. There are automated ways to, for example, do spear phishing, uh, social engineering attacks to get people to click on certain links, reveal their passwords. So that's becoming more prominent as technology develops. Hmm. And what, how do you, uh, so one of the things that you uh, have written about is something called digital forensics. Uh, and I think that's related to uh, crimes committed uh, online using uh, uh, perhaps AI. Would you explain something about the field of digital forensics and your work within it? Yeah, sure. So it's a subset of forensics, which is science of collecting evidence about crimes. We all know about things like fingerprints, dusting mm -hmm. fingerprints, but those are more like digital fingerprints. I can figure out who accessed the system, from what IP address, at what time, 
uh, anything they accessed, uh, just kind of trying to figure out uh, the digital story behind the crime. Yeah. And when and so when you read out front page stories um, about uh, the North Korean army or the uh, or the uh, Russian military or the Chinese military attacking Americans, I imagine that's not the full story. Or would you say those are the, those are the entities that pose the greatest threats to Americans? So there is obviously more than what we hear about, but a lot of times we actually get no access to any evidence whatsoever. A claim is made, okay, Russians hacked our elections, but we are never presented with any evidence of any kind. So it's hard to judge actually how strong the case is. Uh, it's very likely that they have capabilities to do so and may be doing so, but usually such information is not made public. Right. So would you say that foreign governments are posing a greatest threat in the world of AI and, and digital uh, forensics, or is it more rogue actors or, uh, or terrorist organizations like ISIS or Al-Qaeda that are committing most of the crimes on the it, It's all of the above. It depends on who you are and what information you're trying to safeguard. At the national level, obviously, foreign governments are probably the more powerful competitors, but as an individual, you might as well worry about you know, your data being taken hostage and ransom payments and things like that depends on your situation. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's see here. So, um, you're also, you've written something uh, about a concept referred to as singularity with regards to artificial intelligence. Would you define what singularity is uh, and how that relates to your work with artificial intelligence? Uh, sure. So there is a number of different definitions, but the one I can uh, operate with here is uh, all about the time that we get artificial intelligence to be as good as people at doing science and engineering. And so the process of improving technology becomes automated. Instead of us taking a couple years to develop next generation software, the system itself engages in a cycle of self-improvement, which becomes more and more efficient quickly going beyond human-level capability to where it's very hard for us to predict, if not impossible, what it's going to do next. So that's what uh, sometimes people refer to as technological singularity. Is there any possibility? So it sounds like with artificial intelligence, uh, we're quickly entering the realm of science fiction, or at least that reality, that science is, uh, is closing a gap quickly between between real science and science fiction, to what what sort of implications do you think uh, political or ethical considerations uh, there m- might there be as we approach uh, or after we pass uh, singularity? So short term, we worry about things like uh, you know bias in algorithms, technological unemployment, and impact on people from losing their jobs. Long term, once we get to this human level and beyond, everything else becomes uh, a potential problem. So we're no longer the smartest agent around. We're no longer the ones in charge, possibly. Control problem. Who is actually making the decisions? And are those systems aligned with our interests or they don't care or worse yet, they're against our interests? So that's uh, that's the concern. And it's, as you said, kind of science fiction, it's in the future. So it's very hard to make precise predictions, but there seems to be a lot of different types of evidence all pointing in the same direction in terms of capabilities of such systems and uh, uh, how difficult it might be to control them. Do you have 
any, do you believe there's any credibility to any dystopian visions that uh, have been popularly uh, uh, portrayed in in the in the entertainment industry? So, I mean, movies are not always accurate to 100% level, but there is something they talk about which may be of concern. So, a, a common example is the Terminator uh, series of movies, right? Most of it is nonsense, but the idea that military develops automated soldiers and some of them, you know, don't follow instructions or get hacked and try to kill people, that, that's quite possible. And what about, there's also, um, these days, uh, with, uh, SpaceX and, uh, Elon Musk and the commercialization of space, there are new opportunities for space exploration. Of course, if there was artificial intelligence, uh, that, that was, a, that was able to think for itself past singularity, uh, they wouldn't be subjected to the same biological restraints as humans. They could go to another galaxy without worrying that it would surpass one human's lifespan. Are there any implications that have been considered in your field about uh, the the applicability for artificial intelligence and space exploration? So a lot of times in uh, my field and related fields of uh, existential risk uh, reduction and prevention, space is seen as a backup opportunity. We don't want humanity to be on a single planet. If something goes wrong, if asteroid hits, if there is pandemic, we want to have a second base, third base on other planets. So space is very promising if we can set up bases on the moon and Mars. It's like having a backup copy, which is highly desirable. Now, does that help us in case of superintelligent systems? Probably not for long. They can follow us uh, through space. But it's something to consider in terms of its capability in certain, certain situations. Now, bringing our conversation back down to Earth, you also, there's so many different ap- uh, applications for artificial intelligence. You and your team have been working um, at the Cybersecurity Laboratory on facial recognition technology. Uh, could you speak about its commercial implications on our everyday lives? All right, so it's a convenience factor. People are sick and tired of passwords and managing them. It's nice if your system can just recognize you by the way you look. You come in front of your laptop and it goes, hey, Bob, how are you doing? It recognizes you and doesn't let other people in. But also, again, it's dual, dual-use technology. Now, government dictators can track people, know where you are, know who you're friends with. Facebook has this database of billions of users where they can automatically recognize you in images. You didn't want to be recognized then. So, again, dual-use concerns, benefits, and costs to be analyzed. So, so uh, what are some of the things that keep you up at night with regards to artificial intelligence? So, I, I do think it's a very important problem, probably the most important problem we'll ever face, this uh, transition from us uh, being agents who develop tools to being second-level agents who develop a more capable agent and kind of transition in power to that uh, other form of intelligence. Uh, if not done right, it could have uh, very serious consequences for all of humanity, so I, I do hope we get enough resources and time to, to manage this transition properly. Now, Stephen Hawking, the famous British physicist, before he died, did make some sort of prediction with regards to artificial intelligence. Are you familiar with that? I know he spoke about existential risks from AI, uh, just like many other famous people do. 
should we should we be so should we be concerned that should we be trying to avoid the point of singularity or uh are are there other um precautions we should take as we advance uh towards uh singularity we should definitely be very careful. I'm not sure we can avoid it. Uh, stopping technological progress is not something you can actually do in a free society. But uh, I do think it's a very dangerous technology if not done right. So I, I agree with his predictions. Do you believe that if uh, we pass singularity and artificial intelligence would prove itself to be indistinguishable from people uh, in a Turing test, and were to engage in uh, fractal cycles of self-improvement and there and became the ones no longer in charge of humans were to become second-level agents, at that point, do you think artificial intelligence would, in effect, become its own species or the first inorganic species on Earth? You can see it as such. You can see it as a separate species. Absolutely, it's definitely not directly compatible with humanity, but uh, a lot of people predicted that evolution will go to the next level where it's no longer done with uh, random mutation and selection, but uh, actually intelligent design of engineers and scientists will guide the process. Now, there is something, um, I don't want to veer our conversation into the realm of philosophy at the moment, uh, and is the second law of thermodynamics, which pertains to entropy and the creation of order in our universe uh, is the second law um, basically indicates that uh, chaos will increase, that entropy will increase, disorder will increase in the universe, and if you increase order in one portion of the universe and the humans are very good at increasing order, then that somehow uh, decreases uh, order generally uh, across the universe. Do you have any thoughts about the implications of artificial intelligence on uh, the second law of thermodynamics and the relation between entropy and artificial intelligence? So, well, first of all, it's a big universe. Uh, you can change uh, most of the things on Earth, and it's not going to impact statistically the rest of it in any significant degree. But also, I don't think those laws uh, apply to intelligent agents. Those are about dumb natural statistical distributions of particles. When an intelligent agent creates something, they do exactly that. They violate this uh, direction of order from going towards absolute randomness to actually increasing complexity, increasing design. So I don't think it's meaningful to speak of it in this context. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, as we... Um approach the end of this podcast episode, uh, a, a final two-part question. I'd like to ask you, Roman, um, to reflect upon your motivations to be engaged uh, in the world of cybersecurity and artificial intelligence uh, development, uh, why you've tried to do this, uh, and the extent to which your work has uh, been helping uh, improve the world, and then uh, what you hope will be the impact uh, of your work, what the legacy of your work on artificial intelligence will be at the end of your career? No, I have no doubt we're going to succeed at creating human-level artificial intelligence and beyond that, and uh, I really hope that it's a beneficial development for humanity. It can give us amazing, amazing capabilities. We can have longer lives, much more wealth. Uh, automation of labor is definitely something most people would enjoy uh, but uh, at the same time, it's not done right if people are not 
careful and not concerned about safety and security, it can lead to existential crisis, uh, loss of billions of lives and uh, tremendous suffering. So that's that's why I think it's a problem I want to work on, something with significant impact. And that has been Dr. Roman Yampolsky, Distinguished Teaching Professor at the University of Louisville, the founding director of the Cybersecurity Laboratory and a uh, author of many books, who speaks about a point of singularity where artificial intelligence will be indistinguishable from people and, in fact, predicts that artificial intelligence may, in fact, become the world's first organic new species. Um, he speaks of an artificial intelligence arms race around the world uh, where uh, actors and non-state actors are seeking to advance uh, technology at such a rapid pace that progress cannot be impeded or reversed by the fact that uh, uh, be, well, accelerate towards the point of singularity. Um, he says that artificial intelligence eventually will come, uh, will, could lead to many positive benefits as any technology could, longer lives and wealth, but also, uh, we have to be mindful of avoiding future crises that might be accompanied with death and suffering. Uh, as, again, uh, could be said about many past, uh, technological, uh, innovations. So, um, with that, Roman, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks a lot for having me. This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com, iTunes, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And please join the conversation by calling 240-630-0380 or emailing engage at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.